Grapple fans, and welcome to the latest instalment of the Meltzer Five Star Project, the show that made this podcast what it was and also drove us to insanity in the process. In which myself, <laughs> you let me tell you something, co host Lorcan Mullen, and your other chuckling, let me tell you something, co host Simon Cross. You'd think that scar would have healed over, but no, that, that year was intense. <laughs> And ever since then, we have been going through every match that Dave Meltzer has rated five stars or higher. We are a bit late in getting these out. Life, holidays, all in, and lack of wanting to do them that much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that. It's just... No, it was It was just an unfortunate quirk of calendars and everything, not quite matching up. I was away, then Lorcan was away. It's just, just how it is. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, because it was G1 time, we were very concerned that there was going to be some sort of massive backlog greeting us as we got back into the swing of recording and that turned out not to be the case initially in fact as i said to you simon when i sent you a text after the final lot of ratings had come through from dave Meltzer, he hasn't given a single match in this g1 climax this year five stars oh but the cheeky rascal there was always a twist in the tail wasn't there <laughs> yes because he did give one match six stars and another match five and a quarter stars <laughs> Oh, God. And we're dealing with the six-star one today. And it's a match we had before. It was a semi-final that we had before. And it's a regular on this. And I figure that when we talked about him last time, I said I was a little bit surprised to see him on the Meltzer Five Star Project because it seemed like his days in this area had gone. But not only have they come back, they've come back and they're thriving because it's the first of a Naito double bill. What? Simon, what exactly is the match that we're discussing today? We are discussing, as Lorcan's alluded to, it is a G1 semi-final match taking place on the 12th of August 2023 between Tetsuya Naito and Will Ospreay. This is the second semi-final, I believe. The first one had already taken place earlier in the night. So the winner of this match knows that Kazuchika Okada is awaiting them in the final. But you can't look past who's in front of you. (laughs) No, of course not. Although, you could argue that maybe the story of the match going in is that Will Ospreay was looking past Naito a little bit. I will say, I don't think that there were many people, when you were going into this G1, that were expecting it to be a Naito, not coming out story, it's the opposite, I don't know what it is really, but it's a... Resurgence? Resurgence, yeah, a little almost nostalgic Mm. moments for someone who I honestly, as I said, I didn't think that he was necessarily had, his body necessarily had another five-star match within him. Not only did it have that, it had two five-star plus matches within him on day succession. But we initiated the record today, Simon. You raised a sceptical eyebrow to me that I found intriguing. I don't know if that's what you want to address now or if you want to wait a bit later on, but what was the point you want to make now? I sort of grimaced a little bit when you were like, oh, look at you know what we're about to record, some good Naito content. 
I don't know, and I don't know if it was me watching it specifically that time, and maybe I watched it for a bad lens. To peel back the curtain a little bit, listeners, I watched this in the days after All In Weekend, and I was a very tired man, so so this might be a bias coming out. I'm perfectly willing to accept that, but it's the four that's in my head, so I've just got to go with it. I don't know how good chemistry Naito and Osprey have. I don't know if I... I didn't feel it, chemistry-wise. I think if what you're alluding to is the fact that there are a couple of moments in this match that seem like a little bit of a miscommunication, a mistiming. I think in the first instance, that is true. But the subsequent instances, I genuinely don't know one way or the other. Mm. It's one of those things where if you are going to screw up, this is the way to screw up, where there's a bit of a note of ambiguity and mystery to it. You're covered, yeah. Yeah, as to whether this is a blown spot or if it was a deliberately made to look like a blown spot moment. Yeah. And New Japan have history with this. Famously, the first IWGP tournament ending with Hulk Hogan knocking Antonio Inoki off the apron with his axe bomber. And the referee seeming to stop him mid-place as if to suggest that wasn't supposed to happen. This is really worrying. Mm. And then playing it up as an injury angle. And that's how Hogan is able to win it because... Inoki basically gets knocked out, and the implication almost is that maybe this wasn't the way it was supposed to go. I guess another example of that would be how Shawn Michaels did the worked concussion angle in that Monday Night Raw match with Owen Hart. Yeah. And Paul Heyman loved all those worked shoots in ECW. And New Japan continued to do it. I remember seeing a Jushin Liger match with Hayabusa in the Super J Cup. It was actually Hayabusa's debut, I think, in that gimmick. And he hits the brain buster and gets the three count and he celebrates. But then he turns to the referee and it, like he seems to imply, weren't we supposed to do some more stuff? Because it seems so obvious that like, why would you give it away? And then I'm wondering if it's like to give Hay- save Hayabusa face. Like again, the idea that he was legitimately injured from that and couldn't continue on with the match. I can see that point of view, yes. It's hard to tell, again, because we... And again, actually, weirdly, with the way that this G1 got booked and the main event that we seem to be getting out of this from Wrestle Kingdom, assuming no Jay White pinning Ibushi-style twists Mm. are going to come in the interim, we maybe don't realise what are the top storylines in New Japan from a Japanese perspective both from the bookers and the fans there. Yeah. Because I think everyone was getting excited about this maybe being a big coming out G1 for all of the new stars of the promotion. You had Yota Suji, Ren Narita, and Shota Umino all making their G1 debuts. You had Kaito Kiyomiya coming in from Noah. You had Gabe Kidd and Alex Coughlin coming in from New Japan Strong and the LA Dojo. And there are visions that oftentimes G1s do tell a story of someone as their big coming out. Emerging. Yeah, their emergence, like they're, they're the next step up. Sometimes, whether it's Masachono finally getting the big win over Kijimuto in the first G1 and the final three of that tournament being the three Musketeers very early in their time on their ascension to the main event. Or subsequent times like Hiroki Goto winning it his first time of trying, Kazuchika Okada winning it his first time of trying, 
a few years after that, although he already had an IWGB heavyweight title reign under his belt <laughs> at that point anyway, the fucking SWAT. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know when you're at an airport and you just see someone go through fast track uh, security and you're like, oh, oh I hate you. <laughs> but yeah, before Tenzan, Nagata, Nakanishi, and Nakajima, but before any of them won the IWGP titles for the first time, they won the G1. Yeah. Maybe the problem with that, though, is that was back when it functioned as its own separate discipline that had no bearing on the Wrestle Kingdom main events. And ever since then, it's been a lot more limited in the people that have won the G1. I mean, it's, they make a big point about Maschono coming out as Mr. August, and he won five G1s yeah. in his time with the promotion. But he also only got one run with the IWGP heavyweight title that got halted straight after he won it due to injury. Winning, it's like winning the FA Cup as opposed to winning the league. Yeah. But so, nowadays, it's all league and FA Cup doubles are a lot more easy to happen than they were back yeah. in right up to the 90s. Yeah, in terms of wrestling, I guess it's like saying, well, Big John Studd won the first Royal Rumble. Mm. I don't think that was for a uh, WrestleMania title. So I don't think, re- like, so... So Nats, you wouldn't see Big John Studd winning the moment it became about main event in WrestleMania, would you? No. Weirdly, the Royal Rumble was one of the true beneficiaries of the roster split because it gave them a lot more leeway. And they didn't repeat winners, actually, when there were two separate titles because you could have Alberto Del Rio, Sheamus, all of those guys that aren't necessarily the top stars win it and then they pick the less important belt and end up opening WrestleMania as opposed to headlining it. Which can be the match that they want to do. Whatever, wherever they want to put John Cena in, essentially. Yeah. And then when the belts got unified and there was only one champion, then you went back to repeating winners again and Roman Reigns being in like the final two for like four years in a row or whatever it was. And that's kind of where we've been with the G1 now. I mean, the last... It's funny because Naito won it in 2017. So that's what? 18, 19, 20. Six years ago. Two, one, two, five. So there have been five G1 winners in between. Oh, yeah. And those five winners are Tanahashi, Ibushi, Ibushi, Okada, Okada. It's got a lot more repetitive. And so that was the excitement that maybe this was going to be like 91. And maybe one of these guys was either going to reach the final or get a big win over Okada. And instead, I think going into it, everyone was assuming at this point, well, it's just going to be a rematch of the final from last year, yet again, with Okada and Osprey. Yeah. And Naito essentially is being the spoiler, but... Naito winning this G1 does fit in with a different kind of G1 storyline, which is that big, almost nostalgic comeback win, where the more grizzled veteran is actually the one that they want to win it for sentimentality reasons. It was like when Fujinami won it in 93, when Ricky Choshu won it in 96, Chono's last win of it in 2007. The It's not a nostalgia win for Naito, but it's the, the sense is for the last few years that Naito is almost right behind Tanahashi on his way down, the sense that both of these men are physically deteriorating before our eyes. Yeah. And they aren't having the multiple five-star matches that they used to get from Meltzer all the time. Naito's not as damaged as Tanahashi, but Naito only ha- like has like seven or eight fewer years than Tanahashi under his belt as a wrestler too. They refer to his eye surgery as well. Like, they play up on it, um, both in this match and the subsequent match. Having a retina detached, yes, you can walk around, but sight, you've got to think about your sight long term, do you know what I mean? But it was funny as well, the, the role reversal of where we were last year, because last year's storyline 
of the tournament was just about Osprey gradually getting more and more banged up as the tournament went on, and he had the tape all over his shoulders and under his on his neck. And for the semi-final of last year with Naito and Osprey, it was about Naito strategizing and just going after Osprey's neck and Osprey having to come from behind to win it. And that's essentially the role reversal with this one. It seems like Osprey's been getting stronger and stronger as time's gone on. He's now just coming off getting that revenge win over Omega. And that sense that there was that sense, I think, I think it was my prediction for this year and you were going to predict it if I hadn't predicted it. That Osprey was going to win the G1 and this was going to be his ascension to the final peak of it. Yeah. The promotion by beating, I thought, would be Okada for the title at Wrestle Kingdom. Because that's maybe the Westerners' viewpoint of what New Japan stories are. Mm. It's the top Gaijin and Okada because so many of us came in off the backs of Omega Okada storyline. Yeah. And we didn't get that. Nor did we get the other storyline that we were excited about, which was the new generation. They all flamed out in the in the block stages. Hikaleu got in <laughs> in second place ahead of all of those guys. But what we have sort of ended up with is uh, this link to this whole uh, Los Ingle Bonobas, Ingar Bonobles, uh, Japan story. Ingobernables, there we go. Los Ingobernables, uh, Japan storyline. Because we do have to... What is the status of LIJ at the minute? That's the funny thing with LIJ. They've always been misfits that are somewhat separate from each other. Yeah. That they don't hang out on screen that often. The LIJ people come out at the end, but that's all there is. They're never the ones like backing up in the corner. The... They're no Gado. They're no great Okan. Yeah, the recent Yotasuji Sanada title match was one of the first times that all of lij were out there with one of their guys their newest guy i mean it gets to the point that even naito forgets the roll call <laughs> he gets it in the wrong order but they were they were all this idea that they are still together and there are particular bonds within the group that are very strong like that between naito and takahashi yeah like the g1 recently where naito was the champion when he lost at the end of when he got knocked out he was just absolutely gutted. It was like more so than you've ever seen him for one of his own losses because what he was going to do if he'd have won that G1 is he would have had the choice of who challenged him at Wrestle Kingdom and he would have picked Takahashi. Yeah. And that gutted him more than himself not winning it, really. The faction exists. The fact that Yotasuji's joined it now obviously has a lot of people wondering, is this going to be some sort of the rock usurping Farouk? And we haven't had that yet. As you say, what we are going to get instead, it seems like our Wrestle Kingdom main event is going to be Sonada defending it against Naito. Yeah. And we didn't get that sense of there being any great emotional bonds. Like, obviously, Sonada did leave them after beating Naito in the New Japan Cup, but it was quite friendly, (laughs) as hard as it sounds. But I don't know if we understand the uh, significance of LIJ sometimes culturally within Japan. Mm. And the appeal that they have to the Japanese, especially the young, the young of Japan, Japan, that have felt that you know you, we think we we feel screwed over as millennials from boomers. I think <laughs> it's that plus a few more in Japan, possibly. Well, yeah. So again, it's things that we don't necessarily understand. But what I do understand in the story of this match is the idea that Naito is physically inferior to. Osprey in this match and in the next match Okada. Yeah. And Naito having to use his intelligence, his wiliness, and being able to withstand the bludgeoning attacks of Osprey in this match. 
best exemplified really by how hard he chops Naito in the early going. Some of those slaps to the chest just echo throughout Sumo Hall. But then later on in the match, when he started to weaken Osprey, when Osprey goes to chop him again, it doesn't have as much of an impact. And it's that sense that Naito has affected him. So I really enjoyed the story of this match, of it being Naito having to use his wiles and his intelligence and his in-ring IQ to get to Osprey. There's a great surgical precision to like how he attacks the neck as well, with those uh, hip tosses or those arm yeah. jacks onto the knee. I did like that a lot, the way he just kept going, all right, all right, you, you can throw all these big fancy moves around, but I can hit that one spot all of the time. Yeah, well, I think one of the points you're alluding to is that great spot where he does a hip toss and Osprey just pops up no-selling it, essentially. And then he comes back and so Naito goes to hip toss him again, but instead of what he did before, he puts a knee out so that Osprey lands back of his neck first on the knee, yep. thus damaging him more. And that's where the neck attacks really start to go. And I wonder if now, because that is also what he does in the Okada match, if Naito's going to be increasingly reliant on the neck attacks in the same way that Tanahashi is reliant on the knee attacks. Mm. I'm sure he does target the knee often because that's what Destino is, but it seemed yeah. the most explicit now in these yeah. recent matches. I was pretty much going to say the same thing. Like If you look at Dest- what Destino is... But maybe it's just to make sure that when you hit your shot, you know it can put them away. Like, he can't quite do all the, all the other stuff from his past. He can't hit the Stardust press. I can't remember. He keeps bloody trying, though. He, lo- he loves a go. <laughs> Naito going for the Stardust press is now turning into Ric Flair climbing up to the top <laughs> rope. <laughs> like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> But yeah, it is just that thing that Osprey has all the agility and the strikes. Because when he gets back into control, it's by him doing the handspring flying kick to Naito. But Naito knows that he's got to just keep targeting the neck. And also, he's just got to be ruthless. And even though he is the face, in theory, going into this match, he's the crowd's sentimental favourite. When he gets Osprey in the neck crank after drop kicking him in the neck as well... He does not release the hole when Osprey's in the ropes. That is the heel move, but it's like mm. he's got to find every avenue he can to win this match. He's got to utilize that count. He's got to be clever. So it's all about Naito. Again, we've said he's the one that follows that lineage of Fujinami, Muto, Tanahashi, Naito. And now you it would look like Shota Umino is the one that's the logical inheritor of that mantle of the intelligent in-ring technician mm. who is as much about turning his opponent's moves against them or knowing what the best way to counter them is. And as we said in this one, it's him doing the neck attacks. But also at one point, him surprising a, a powerbomb attempt by Osprey, he turns it into a DDT. There's all sorts of great little reversals as, as well. He turns a Stormbreaker into a version of the Destino. Yeah. Then he does another reversal into a Destino. Osprey tries to do an os cutter on the apron. Instead, Naito is able to turn it into a second rope neck breaker on the apron, and then he follows it up with another neck breaker off the apron to the mat. Oh, the sound on the one to the floor. Just mm. deep thud. So, yeah, it is one of those ones where it's like all the great Tanahashi Okada matches as well, where it's like Tanahashi's got the intelligence, but maybe 
Okada's just great physical gifts are going to be enough to get him through this, no matter mm. what uh, Tanahashi can spring on him. You're getting this as well with Naito, because he can do all these clever moves, and he can do a reverse run to Osprey off the top rope, but Osprey might just land on his feet and then hit him with a hidden blade. <laughs> oh, I did think you were going to obviously like, uh, mention the reverse runner, of course. Well, you have to, it's a rule. Oh, naturally. But you are right insofar as there are moments in this match where you do worry about Naito's status of like being able to do these things. Like There's a moment where Osprey does his shooting, and it's one of Osprey's more dumb moves that he still keeps. Oh, where... the one to the ropes. Yeah, where you need to be like literally right in place. Yeah, uh, he did it to Jericho in at All In. I was kind of, you know, it's the sort of thing Jericho sometimes struggles with. But Naito was like, it's weird to see someone have to struggle to get in place to take a bump. Yeah, what what's the benefit of him hitting it into the rope? <laughs> yeah, it's better if it's something where it's like just instantaneous. Yeah, can look cool like Alberto Del Rio when you do the double stomp and someone's in the tree of woe. But when it's oh, so... but they have to hold themselves up for so long. Yeah, it's just one of those things that just drives you crazy. Someone having to hold a steel chair for an extended period of time for Rob Van Dam to plant his feet and do the Van Daminator and everything. Yeah, it can work, but it just needs. To... It's like how Tanahashi is the guy that figures out how to do the reverse runner spot right. With those, you kind of would hope that Naito would have a more creative way of doing it, but all he was doing really was just like, fuck, I need to, I really need to be careful with where my uh, weight is balanced at this point. <laughs> but then, like I said, he does that DDT off of a powerbomb, which is such a great, smooth spot that just reminds you of those Omega Naito matches that were some of my favorite matches ever. Those two G1 matches that they had back to back in 2016 and 17 yeah look look osprey's a freak of nature and to keep pace with a freak of nature you have to pretty much you have to be a freak of nature naito may have been in the past not now (laughs) but what naito still has is that connection and i've always said he reminds me a lot of eddie guerrero as well especially the way that he'll smile in the ring when he and that connection he has with the crowd, and you see it throughout this match, mm. that when they're doing the, you know, another one of those spots that everyone does, the on-their-knees elbow exchange, Naito's got this smile on his face, because he's sort of enjoying himself, but he also wants to affect Osprey emotionally, because that was always what he was doing with that detachment, that kind of is less there than it was in the past. He does do the des- the um, tranquilo pose at one point yeah. in some ways it's along the lines of where orange cassidy is as well putting his opponents into a false sense of see i would love a naito orange cassidy match that'd be so cool to watch well forbid tuan door is less than a year away so maybe <laughs> we'll get there maybe they tag team at wrestle dream and then have a, a friendly match a best friendly match <laughs> in the <laughs> But yeah, at least again, as long as those strike exchanges tell a story, and in this one it does like Naito going after the neck with the elbow strikes that he was so brutal with last year as well. But then Osprey just re- brutalizes back, and then we get a, an interesting thing that we also get in the next match as well, which is them looking for a, a, a 10 count knockout. Yeah, like uh, Red Shoes checks on him. And Naito just launches Red Shoes across the ring. Red Shoes bumps like a trooper. Yeah, he wasn't 100% sure if he would get to his feet for 10. So as long as he takes out the person who's counting, then he should be all right. Yeah. And then he smiles at Osprey only to get a hidden blade to the face again. <laughs> and then Osprey again just showing his physical superiority to Naito by hitting him with his own Stardust Press. That He was just flexing on him <laughs> at that point. 
But here's the moment I think you might have been alluding to as well, where I was wondering, did Naito get his bell rung for real? Because there seemed to be some real struggles towards the end Mm. for Naito to be in place. And there were moments when it seemed like they were quite openly talking to each other in the ring. Yeah. And Osprey was trying to get him into position to do stuff. And I could even see Naito talking as well when he was crawling on his hands and knees. But again... I don't know how much is them playing with the audience as well. Yeah, and look, again, I don't really have enough to say they don't have good chemistry together full stop. I, I, just from the very very limited sample size I have, that, that's that's the impression I'm left with. But there was a moment where Osprey hit a kick that it looked like maybe he was supposed to miss, and then they do Naito ducking the hidden blade, but then collapsed. Like, that looks like a work fall. So all of these things that make it look like you get to that deliberately done to make us think that there was issues. Mm. But then they're like talking to each other like, is that how clearly you want to give that away? Like either this was really well worked or Naito was genuinely staggered and it's a very bad sign that he then was supposed to wrestle again the next night. Yeah. (laughs) But then they very quickly went to the finish after that, which was him going for the Stormbreaker, Naito turning into a Destino, then them doing another awkward kind of reversal sequence there was another destino where osprey essentially got pinned out of a three counts yeah like naito kept pulling his leg up so far that his shoulders ended up off the mats <laughs> but then he hit the third destino for the three counts uh just before the 30 minute point although obviously because of the way this g1 had been structured and that was one of the reasons why i wasn't that surprised we didn't get any five stars in the build-up was the 20 minute time limit for the group stages yeah, and Meltz likes his epic length for most of his five star matches, but there we get to the the, the finish, and in Meltz's eyes, a six star match, mm. but not in yours. No, no. Now, does our talk about the admiration of Naito and all the stuff he does and the story they tell and everything does that not improve it a bit more in your eyes now? As you say, you, you're sort of getting past your level of exhaustion after being <laughs> all in. I'm powering through. Mm. It does, but not enough. Not enough for this match. It just didn't connect for me. Like not fully for five, in my opinion. Where are you on the scale? I'm not. I'm not uh, disparaging it by any stretch. I'd say like your fours, four and a halves, but not, okay. not five. Because I'm in the four and a half to four and three quarter range. Because mm. I was really emotionally affected by it, and I I've always loved Naito, and knowing that Naito still had some version of that match in him. Not just in the psychology and the storytelling, but those spots. The beautiful Hurricane Runner out of the powerbomb. And just, I've always loved matches of someone clearly using their brain and having a strategy and having to fight through maybe a physical superior through their intelligence. That's why I love Bret Hart. That's why I love Tanahashi. That's why I love Misawa. Mm. They're not the biggest guys, but they've got the brains. And I've always known that if I was to ever win a fight in life it probably wouldn't be through my brute strength either (laughs) i'm not someone that relies on their physicality to get ahead in life yeah so maybe that's why it appealed to me i didn't go five and i'm not quite sure where Meltzer's getting six no i don't i don't know where six has come from at all well we've talked about this before if we bump into Meltzer another time he said that it seemed like all of the wrestling subscribers observer subscribers were in the crowd and were all in <laughs> and that's something i want to address in our upcoming lmtys pod but we do have a lot more five star matches to talk about in the interim do you have anything left you want to say about this match simon no not really like i think you text me 
yeah, just after um, the, these uh, this week, this G one weekend had taken place, and you said to me, if I was Will Ospreay, I'd be looking out the door pretty much now straight away. And then by the time the promos hyping up all in comes round, Will Ospreay very pointedly goes, "I only have six months left on my New Japan contract." So uh, Lorcan acting like a Nostradamus over here somewhat. <laughs> Well, that's only after initially thinking that this was Osprey's crowning moment was going to be. But that's what New Japan a lot of the time use their gaijins for and, and other wrestlers to not quite get there. Jay White doesn't have a G1 to his name. Nope. Oh, no, so nor does Osprey, And maybe he never will. And as we said, it's not this year, but surely there's a G1 coming up soon where it's going to be your Uminos, your Sujis, your Yuimuras. Your Gabriel Kids. We still believe! You can still believe if you want to, Simon. <laughs> the, they'll be the ones in these G1 semis and finals, which for the longest time have been guaranteed five-star pluses from Meltzer and has carried through to this year, even though it has felt like quite an underwhelming G1. It feels... It definitely feels less special. I'm sorry, but if the G1's meant to be about the exclusive elite, I mean, that's where the G1 comes from, the grade one. It's meant to relate to a horse racing term. Okay. Like, this is where the top horse horses across the board all meet up at once like these are the stallions of the world i don't see grade one in the guys out of the mighty don't kneel Uh, i i frankly don't see that in yoshihashi or hiroki goto anymore Mm. so if we want the g1 to remain special going forward maybe we need to get back to two big blocks of 10 but Obviously, they've also been trying to not destroy all these guys' bodies with a slightly less stressful schedule. So, yeah, it's there's got to be some sort of happy medium in between there somewhere. Exactly, exactly. But like I said, like that sumo hall did not look nearly as full as it did back in those uh, Omega Naito days of 2016 and 2017. No, like it, it was loud enough. But... They've always been loud. Yeah, but... contrary to popular belief. Mm. But New Japan's just in a weird... It's not in a weird place. It's in a place post, like, an apex, like, creatively and talent-wise. I mean, where do you go after that? It's like tennis. Like, Federer's fading, Nadal's fading, Djokovic is... Well, Djokovic is a machine. Murray's hips giving out. Like, what... The new ones haven't come through and made themselves that level yet. But they seem to be telling us who these new ones are, making it very explicit with the whole Rewa Three Musketeers, as they were called, just going into the G1. And all of them also saying they didn't like that name. Mm. Yui Mura just seems to be this elephant in the room that maybe when he comes on... Because I think also we're all expecting that rush Okada moment where just suddenly, out of nowhere, this best wrestler in the world guy turns up. He's like, oh, he's been in the back pocket the entire time, yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's not what where any of these guys are yet. We it's hard to tell, mm. but we're getting there. But usually it's a lot slower in Japan until events force their hand, like it did with like Masao wouldn't have been pushed as quickly as he was if Tenru hadn't left. If Jumbo hadn't had to essentially step down from any significant role. So unless we get something, you know, Touchwood, we don't want anything like that. But suddenly, if a couple of years down the line, Okada and Naito. Uh, and a few others just aren't uh, as available anymore. Aren't there. Yeah. Then we might see the rush job to get Umino and everyone over. But it's still that netherworld, and none of them have had that, except for Umino in the six, man, none of them have had that five star, so 
you know, if AEW continues to take up the bulk of most online discourse, then New Japan will continue to become less of a relevance. And if Meltzer doesn't love those matches as much as he loves Okada and Osprey matches, more specifically Osprey matches, and Osprey isn't there anymore, then maybe we will next year genuinely get no five star matches in the G1s and not because Meltzer's gone over five stars. Yeah. We don't know yet. It's it's still a bit of a mystery, but hopefully an exciting one. There's a reason when you put forward the first half of that text you sent me that I believed it. Because I'm like, oh, this G1 has been a bit. Eh. But you were maybe not meh on this one, but what will you be for the next one? Because what seems like it will be against any proper doctor's wishes, Naito will have to wrestle again the next day against the man that made him ungovernable in the first place or at least a man whose treatment turned him into an ungovernable and it's a rematch to what you say is the one and only match someone needs to watch to get into new japan pro wrestling isn't it simon <laughs> you are never letting that go so what can people expect to hear us talking about next week people can expect to hear us talking about next week the g133 final between kazuchika okada and tetsuya naito but until then if people want to get in touch with you simon how can they do so they can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm sending the Simon Cross free, free for the number of destinos it took to put Osprey away. My name's Lorcan Munn, and that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A at the end of Naito, M for the N at the beginning of Naito. Because, once again, Naito is involved in a clever reversal. Ah. That's my Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a six-star time. <laughs> Whatever that is. Until the next time. <laughs>